0: Today is December 8th. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot, south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border, are the Blackfeet. North of the border are the Siksika, the Ganai, Bigani of the Confederacy. These lands are also on Treaty Seven, signed September 22, 1877, with signatories that include the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Stony Nakoda, now Wesley Chiniki and Bears Paw Nations, and the Sutina Sarsi Nation. We acknowledge all First Nations. We acknowledge all First Nations, Métis, Inuit, status and non-status across Turtle Island, as the keepers of these lands. Oki, okay. Mekochees, Chees Oki. Uh, my name is Michelle Robinson, or Red Thunder Woman in Blackfoot. My humblest apologies to Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn the proper pronunciation. Um, I honour the Blackfoot, and I was born here in Calgary as Michelle Elliot, a very English name which has afforded me a lot of privilege in an English colonial world. Uh, my mother is Northern Slavey Dene, or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government says, Yellenize Dene. My father is so Canadian that I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act-imposed status card. I acknowledge my Dene lineage and that I was born in Calgary, but my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare People, also called the Great Bear Lake People, in Treaty 11. I am a native to Turtle Island and my Dene Nation is... Um, a visitor to this area called Klincho Tinay Indahay in Treaty 11 um, oh sorry in Satu Dene and that means many horse town so um, named after the Calgary Stampede I always do land acknowledgments because they're critical to creating a safer space for indigenous people but it's that bigger picture of honoring the host as the guest and here I am you know little Satu Dene in Blackfoot territory and you know, if you're not acknowledging your, uh, where you are, then you're, you're not really acknowledging the land in the proper way. Uh, so there's a, a bigger picture of respecting the peoples whose land that you're on. And um, in a settler colonial state, that's critical. Any mistakes and misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I can share what I know as I walk down my red road. If you're experiencing emotional distress after anything I've talked about today or want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It is toll-free and open 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Non-Indigenous, there are Distress Centre lines in your area that you can access as well. Uh, My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge in support. I'd like to say thank you to the previous donors for already showing your support to the show. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. To those that cannot afford to give in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyycgmail.com. Send in your comments and your questions. We are on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. I also want to give a a shout-out to my super loyal donors, um, Alexandria, Beatrice, Brian, Celine, Diana, Jocelyn, Judy, Kenna, Kimberly, Leah, Marisa with 1S, uh, Natalie, Nathan, Phyllis, Rebecca, The Sprawl, Tiffany, Vanessa with 1S, and Veronica. So um, last week I actually missed recording an episode and we were actually at one of the peaks of our sicknesses. So if you've been listening the last little while, I just started developing a cold October 21st, and and it's really gotten awful. Uh, last week, I really thought maybe I should even be hospitalized for it, but you know, here I am. Um, uh, for a lot of people, it's like, well, no big deal, go to the doctor, Why? who cares? Well, it's a little more complicated in Canada when you're native. And I know a lot of people are like, ah, that's all in your head. But it might actually be something that you might not have ever experienced and known. And to give you a bit of um, a history about my own personal um, uh, issues here in Canada, my great-grandmother actually died because she was denied uh, proper antibiotics at the time. And um, it sounded like my great-grandfather had gone to town to get the drugs that were supposed to be promised to be there. And they never came. And when he came back, not only was my great grandmother dead, but my grandmother was very close to death. So um, she was only uh, a few months old, really. And um, so she went to the residential school at the age of 18 months because her her mother had died, and my, my great grandmother, or great grandfather, gave my grandmother to the Indian residential school at the at 18 months. So like, that's, that's my, the history of my family being a part of these stupid legacies is that, you know, because they were denied healthcare, um, she died and my granny went into Indian residential school way too early as a result. Um, on top of that, you know, like my mother, she's had, uh, uh, issues. So my, my understanding is that her and my dad, like I witnessed my mom and dad fist fighting and, um. My mother's account is that one time her head was smashed into the point that uh, she was hospitalized. And, um, you know, I know from what I was told on my dad's side that, you know, she was classified as schizophrenic. And this was the early 80s where it was really easy to dismiss an Indigenous woman compared to a white man. So that's just what happened. And uh, I don't think she's ever been properly diagnosed as most Domestic violence uh, victims aren't actually properly diagnosed with head injuries, yet most of them have them, and uh, that's just the current state of misogyny and healthcare in Canada. Uh, White or not, if you are part of domestic violence, they just don't talk about that shit, and it sucks, because we have all these women who have severe head injuries from domestic violence It's not being properly cared about. so, like, those are, are some serious issues. I know when I went to have my daughter, I had some serious problems with racism. And uh, as a result, meet Bular, who's a brown man, He uh, his auntie was a midwife. And I just made the, you know, cost-effective reasoning why we should have midwifery, and it got done. So those um, notes for International Day of the Midwife in 2008 are in my daughter's birth story because... Um, as a result of what happened, we at least now have funded midwifery here in Alberta. So you know, I'm I'm proud of that. But the bottom line is, is that was done because of uh, because of racism, um, and what was done to my family was wrong. But you know, here we are working on these issues, and and because of what happened with me and my experience with the birth. Um, I have a lot of misgivings myself about dealing with doctors, so um, here in my area there was a medical clinic that opened up and I was really happy to to be a part of it because it was a Muslim doctor, a woman, so super excited to be a part of that. Um, And I, you know, tested the waters right away and when they would ask you what are your allergies I jokingly say, um, racism and sexism, and while yeah, of course it's meant to be a joke. We all know it's like for real because if you experience racism and sexism when you're really sick, you don't, you're vulnerable. You don't have the time to advocate and that literally happened to me when I was giving birth to my daughter. So thank God I had a doula that I, I had hired um, who was well-respected and, and that. Anyway, anyway, I bring this all up because, um, you know, now I'm sick and, you know, I brought in witnesses, my my husband and my daughter, to talk about, you know, can I get a swab for a whooping cough, can I get swabs to figure it out, and and none of those things were done. And, um, you know, we we were sick, we were on, all of us were on antibiotics, um, steroids as well, uh, puffers, uh, one point in time, and, and this is where it gets really tricky. So this place that I've been going to, it's a medical clinic and a pharmacist at once, and I have a really open relationship with the pharmacist. i am told them I'm all about harm reduction. I'm a liberal. I ran. I care about um, the opioid crisis. So I always stop in, grab my naloxone kit, and I just recently found out that as a status native um, I get access to Narcan. So I've been ordering Narcan on a regular basis. I give it out like candy. So you know when you're parked and, and there's panhandlers well, here in Calgary, I don't know about wherever you're all listening. I'd love to hear about your your situation wherever you are. But here in Calgary, um, this this place was the infrastructure was designed with um, driving in mind. So everybody drives here. As a result, um, panhandlers have figured out the smartest place to get money is actually at intersections. So a lot of our panhandlers go there. I'm just waiting for some crazy conservative to be like, we need a new law to stop these people from asking for money because we created a system where they'd be poor and in poverty and they're figuring out a way to work around us. So we got to stop that. Waiting for that, right? I'm sure you all are too. So what I do is I take my uh, Narcan. If somebody's asking for money, I mean, I can't. I'm I'm broke. What kind of money do I have? So I don't, I don't give money, but I always give out my naloxone kits and my Narcan. Um, if they want it, like I'll just put it by the window. And if they seem interested, of course, I just give it to them freely because I can't believe, (sighs) I can't believe people didn't vote for this. I can't believe we don't have more mental health services. I can't believe we don't have more beds and more addictions. Obviously, we, my my family, we care a lot about this. Um, you know, we're part of that, um, well, variety through White Bison. And i uh, probably going to keep doing that until, um, I, I don't know. I don't know when we're going to stop doing that. Um, because it's critical to this crisis that we're facing. And, and the bigger picture, too, is that it's not just... Um, The thing is, it's not just prescription drugs that that has a result, but it came from that. And I bring it up, why? Because when I went to the doctor, guess what we were prescribed? We were prescribed an actual opioid-based, like NyQuil or DayQuil, uh, one of those types of cough syrups. And I couldn't believe it, so it had codeine in it. So originally they gave it to my daughter and I'm like fuck that I'm not giving that to my daughter Um, and then when I went back I said um, you know we actually have legitimate health concerns about that because my husband is legitimately allergic to cocaine Um, and we found that out because he got into a car or not a car accident a quad accident anyway anyway so of course, I have legitimate concerns about my daughter being exposed to any derivative that might be related to that family. So when I te- told that to them, although she's never been diagnosed with uh, an allergy, they said, oh, "Okay, well, don't give it to her, but you can take it." I'm like, "Oh, Jesus!" But I thought, like, I was I was so sick last week I thought I was going to get hospitalized. So I did take it for two nights and both days. The next day I had the shakes like they really affect you in a negative way like I would have taken cannabis over that any day Um, anyway anyway the reason why I bring that up is because um, you know they know I'm really sensitive to the opioid crisis and yet they still gave that to me and they gave it to my daughter so I don't know what to say I know at the end of the day this is about money and pharmacy and all of those things at the, you know, risk of sounding like a conspiracy theorist, <laughs> it's a reality, and I think you just have to be super careful about what you're putting into your body. So, anyway, um, never really did get a diagnosis, but we were sent in for some blood work, and as soon as we did that, we were immediately called back to, uh, you know, go and then I got my a chest X-ray done today and it said right on there, you know, complications from uh n- n- pneumonia. So pretty sure I was I had pneumonia, but I actually don't know for certain because it wasn't um it wasn't said as a, an actual diagnosis to me. It was just kind of written on a sidebar and some of the the information we had. So anyway, I was starting to get to the point that I'm like I'm gonna fucking die of a heart attack here. I just know it. So I started to put it on Facebook like I'm really sick. Like you don't get it. I'm super sick. And people are like oh well I hope you feel better. But then I started to kind of list out some of the things and you know well-meaning people chimed in here and there and you know, everybody's like, you need tea, and it's like, fuck, man, I've been on tea since October 21st, I don't, I don't need more tea, I'm on the ginger tea, I got on the chamomile, I got the lemon, got the honey, done the mead, man, there is not a type of honey, or a tea that I haven't tried, but when you have pneumonia, I don't think having enough lemon in your fucking tea is going to stop it, so, you know, well-meaning, absolutely, but I was pretty sick, and so we skipped last week, but, um, you know, it, I know it sounds stupid, but it's traumatizing going through this shit because you just don't necessarily trust the system enough to know that they have your best interest in mind. And um, I know a lot of people just take the pills and take them. And I get that. I, I, you know, really admire people who can just trust the system. I'm not that person because of my previous experiences. And, um, and fr- quite frankly, I have it good compared to most people. And I hate that. I hate that uh, so many people just don't get proper health care at the end of the day. And even for me, you know, I don't know what biases my Muslim doctor may have about um, Indigenous people, but I know, you know, just like every other race there is here in Canada, I was immediately um, given the opioid or um, codeine as a as an alternative right away. and I. I you know, it's no wonder this crisis is happening. I mean, I have a cough, possibly pneumonia. I just don't know if you need an opioid for that. So here we are. Um, so <clears throat> definitely reflecting on that. Um, you know, still working with my doctor uh, tomorrow. I have my results of some of my chest x-ray and stuff like that. So it'll be interesting to see. What she says, if she just a formally... Oh, I was on the internet, you know, diagnosing myself. And somebody somewhere really smartly said, you know, you should really tape your... When you're... The noises you're making of your lungs. Because you, inevitably, I would always have an appointment in the morning when my lungs weren't making the noise that I'm accustomed to having at night. So I taped it and recorded it. And it sounded like this awful wheezing. But... I think that was what finally just it it made it sound like I definitely have some type of um, complications from pneumonia so that's that's the scoop poop that's what's going on in my world my daughter she's been on on meds too so we're hoping to get her off of that and well we're all off it and now we're working on like the probiotics and stuff like that and Um, This is really controversial, I know lots of people are going to lose it over this, but I definitely believe in a lot of, uh, you know, natural health remedies, just because, um, quite frankly, you can't trust pharmaceuticals, so, um, because of that, I started my probiotic regime, because I got to get my gut flora back to normal, because I had to take the antibiotics, and, you know, vitamin C, I had a friend who, um, she had this, uh, issue with her gallbladder, so she had to have that removed. Um, I've been doing gallbladder detoxes since, what, 2011 at least. I was looking that up and, uh, yeah, so I'm gonna, I started drinking my apple juice, um, started eating more apples and I do that for a few days and then I drink this ridiculous concoction that's disgusting and it's, um, it's of like uh lemon um olive oil and epsom salts and it releases a lot of the gunk it like i've done this a few times and it's like sand so um it releases the gallbladder and some apparently the liver too some some stuff in the liver it all kind of is interconnected and goes together um i don't know it that well but i know I hardly eat well enough that I can say I I eat a clean enough diet. I don't need to do a gallbladder detox. A lot of people in my peer group I have found have gotten their gallbladder removed, and, and I'm certain I had read that's linked to pancreatic cancer and liver cancer. So that's why to me I'm I'm going to fight to try to keep it. But I am not a medical doctor, so do not take my uh, words as um, medical advice. Obviously, you have your relationship with your doctor. Um, I have my relationship with mine. But if you have, you know, instances of racism that you want to share with me, please don't hesitate to contact me. uh, Whether it's through, like, what usually happens is a lot of people just post, like, you're not going to believe what happened with me. And then they'll tell me the story. Um, But I feel like on the daily, there's, like, national news somewhere about somebody who's not getting proper you know, healthcare solely based off of racism. So I wish that wasn't a thing, but yet here we still are, right? (laughs) Anyway, so I wanted to talk about that just to let everybody know that's why uh, we missed it. Um, It wasn't something we wanted to miss, that's for certain, but I just know we were just too sick and too much was going on. And um, it's that time of year where it's Christmas. So just trying to get the stupid tree up from under the stairs seems overwhelming, frankly. And, um, I know a lot of people are, you know, doing the, uh, holiday parties and such. So, you know, I was really worried I'd have to cancel Christmas. And I was even afraid to send cards because I just didn't have a proper diagnosis. And there is a an outbreak of whooping cough here in Southern Alberta. So I just didn't know what to expect. And, um... I did ask my my doctor if she would swab for it but she never did so tomorrow i'll find out more see if this uh, x-ray has a little more um, information about um, pneumonia complications so so what i asked did start doing um so i guess it was thursday the first day i felt like i could stand up straight and breathe without like uncontrollable coughing so I've actually felt way better the last little while, and because um, today's a Monday, so it's been a couple of days of feeling like you know I can breathe a little, and uh, as a result, I started to read a little bit. Um, our next book club is Richard Wagamese's book Starlight. Uh, Starlight is his last book. He was he started it before he had passed away. Um, you know, and so much respect to his family uh for i don't know it it it's so hard cuz i know he's an indian residential school survivor um and as a result he struggled a lot uh as as a result of that trauma that was imposed by the government so but he still wrote these books and uh we have a lot of folks in my book club that are a big fan of richard wagamese and i it, it's hard because there's never really You know strong female characters or anything for me to really relate to and that really offended um, some of my book club supporters and i'm like well you know i don't mean it to be that way it's just that very clearly this man was you know separated and stayed with boys and was forced to you know be with boys and that's just his his style of writing so um Anyway, this book has come out, and I know um, it's kind of a follow-up to his other ones, so that's why I think our book club was excited to get it. And I, I don't know what it is about can lit and the white um, lit world, but they just love Richard Wagamese's book so much. So, um, so anyway, I, I started it, and I, sometimes I don't even start our our books because they're so traumatizing, and I'm like, I don't want to read this. This my life is enough. I don't need to. Uh, read about somebody else's ridiculous trauma so anyway i i I get it started and how does it open it opens with um an incredible you know young girl and her mother and a domestic violent scene and drunkenness and i'm like oh awesome all the poverty porn for all the canadian lit who's all about you know that type of stuff from natives, right? I hate that, Freaking hate that. It's just constantly poverty porn. So I wasn't very excited about that because I'm like, I don't really need to read about, you know, drunken domestic violence. And then the, the scene before that was um, a fellow's dad had died. And with that death, he was in a, an urn and they were closing down the farm kind of thing. And I'm like, so I wasn't, I, I, I'm like, I don't know, 13 pages in, this is the only thing that's happened. And I'm like, I'm going to need a little more motivation to want to finish this book. So I went, uh, online, had a look at some of the reviews and, you know, someone was like, it started off slow. I'm like, well, I don't know. It started off with such ugliness. Well, the last thing I want to do is continue it. But so anyway, that's kind of where I'm at where um, I don't know if I've said it on air enough, but there are books out there written by Indigenous people. And um, the reviews, racist people will take the opportunity to say something awful about it in the hopes that it sways other people. So it's almost it almost feels like unless you are a person who's read White Fragility and believes it and tries to honour that, It's almost like, unless you've read that book, I don't care what your opinion of the book is. But there was this um, really sweet tweet from a mother and a a father who were like co-reading this book together. And it was just so sweet. And they were obviously trying to decolonize together. And um, so I said to her, I probably would mention this at my book club. Um, And well I don't think I told her, I'd tell her on my podcast. Either or, it's public, so I don't really care um, really sweet. So yeah, I'm going to try to keep reading this book and hopefully it'll, I don't know, not be so poverty pornish. Just don't understand why everything related to Indigenous has to be, you know, white saviorism. I hate that. So that's what I'm reading. My hope is that people will come though, especially those who legitimately, um, love his reading because it, I know everyone reads this book it's just that they don't write the review they don't write a public review and then um you know only the racists get all of that glory so it would be really great to have folks come to the book club who've read the book because um one it's just good to have other people's point of view um you know because inevitably everybody says one thing that just kind of changes the way you rethink the book so Anyway, I love books. I'm a nerd. Sorry, I kept going on about that. Um, racism and hockey. Wow. So I didn't really talk about Don Cherry. Uh, when I had James on, you know, we kind of skimmed about it and rolled our eyes. Because that was the big thing that was happening was Don Cherry uh, being a racist again in the news. And um, so this happens and... You know, I'm like, whatever, and I just don't care. How many times has he said something racist? But it was actually shocking how many, you know, folks are like, it's not racist. <sighs> For Christ's sakes, people. I just can't believe how apologetic people can be to a racist, how a guy like that can say something so awful repeatedly. Many times, different scenarios again and again, and everybody's okay with it. But if I like blow my nose wrong, everybody loses it and, and is quick to correct me and gaslight me and all sorts of stuff. But Don Cherry literally can get away with anything and everybody's okay with it. Um, so anyway, what happened was there was a tweet. A tweet from a black player who has been long since retired and obviously the NHL and their You know, that whole freaking industry doesn't have their thorn or have have him as their, um, you know, slave. So because of that, he felt empowered enough to speak out against some racism that the Calgary Flames coach at the time um, had done. And then there were allegations of like him kicking other people, like just being a total dick. And, you know, I grew up in Sylvan Lake where this was a hockey town, you know, 2000 people, The only thing that there was was a friggin' arena, like most towns across the country. And um, I'm not gonna lie, really negative male toxic behavior as a result. Uh, There's a really great book that I really felt empowered by, um, because I grew up in the 80s. Um, In the 90s, Eric Lindros was becoming this thing, and a lot of sexual assaults, abuse, and and the bottom line was, if you were an NHL player, you could pretty much rape anybody you wanted and be allowed to cross the border. Nobody cared because you're a man and you're playing sports and there's a lot of money associated to that. So nobody cared. Um, or that's not true. The men allowed these men to continue. They enabled this behavior and allowed them to do it as long as they made them money playing sports. So to me, it was a really empowering book. Uh, Laura Robinson crossing the line and it really broke down all of the sexual assaults and rapes that um, These these types of people do on a regular basis and never get never have accountability and um, Obviously the Canadian police we know we have report after report after report Of them just turning a blind eye to whatever whatever male misogyny they want and um, As a result, we just have this like really toxic hockey culture that nobody really wants to talk about and of course racism being awful i mean we had the Akanae, uh basketball team just not allowed to have calgary refs because of a bunch of de- racist decisions um and nobody there's no accountability to that nobody has held that to account there um obviously the the basketball youth association just wants to tr- just try to like continue playing um because there's so much politics in sports anyway. I feel awful that our Indigenous youth just, no matter where they go, they end up fa- fa- uh, facing racism. And then on top of it, um, it's not just them, it's black people. So black people, like this one NHLer, um, called out the Flames guy. And then there was this bit of a national discussion about you know, respectful behaviour and such. And, and, and it's so interesting how they take like point-blank racism and abuse and just bring it down into respect and it's really relevant today because today Sheldon Kennedy's um, nonprofit called the Respect Group was is being used by the um, Alberta government as a kind of like an anti-bullying strategy and such and there's a little bit of gr- grant funding to that so I'm going to have to look at it. little harder but I'd love to see that money being properly utilized so that that way like the Kanai basketball youth can go play basketball and not have the Calgary refs mistreat them the way they did Um, anyway I I can't even believe everybody's just like totally let that go Um, racism in sports obviously being a major issue I talked about it at length When we were working on the Olympic bid about this time last year, uh, we talked about um, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to actions on sports. Um, So we had um, the Flames coach ended up having to be... Well, I always get a kick out of when they say, he stepped down. Did he step down or was he told, you're stepping down? Either or, he's no longer the uh, head coach for the Flames as a result of uh, being called out on this and now we have Sheldon Kennedy's group you know I'm just concerned about the whitewashing because I don't know like I've been following the respect group and Sheldon Kennedy for quite some time I have literally never seen him call out any form of racism ever and um, on top of that he's always promoting really crappy conservative politicians as if they care about anything, Um, you know, like Harper, he did those cuts to uh, the indigenous. He did cuts to our uh, women's programs and, you know, so Rona Ambrose pretending to care about, you know, violence against women is a joke because that literally like amped up the amount of missing and murdered indigenous women we had here as a result of those awful policies that they had put forward. So, for me, uh, oh, and then, like, the increase of uh, jail time and, and such, like, Indigenous women are being incarcerated. Um, so it, it, it's just, I get so angry at the idea that anything associated with Jason Kenney and his government would even possibly matter at this point because um, of what he did when he was a federal uh, cabinet minister. And now here he is as the premier of Alberta, like I just see absolutely nothing positive coming from literally a group of bullies. So now we're instituting something that actually is positive. But again, is there any form of anti-racism, any form of Indigenous education? I don't know. And I'd love to be proven wrong. I'm really hoping that There will be some change in culture, like a little bit of less male toxicity would be fabulous, but I just don't know if that's going to be the end result. So watch that, and I'd love to hear your feedback. Um, If you're an organization that ends up using any form of that grant money, um, I'd love to hear about it, because obviously I I want to see change, positive change, where people aren't being bullied. But... As it is right now this just seems like where we're at Um, yeah anyway so I was really shocked at some of the things that I have been tweeted at recently I'm gonna try to get to that but I think before I do I actually have to give you a little bit of um, a background so for those who do not know there there's a a murder case that has been going on here in Calgary right at this, this time right now and like, it, it was a really awful story of um, a fellow, uh, a black guy named um, Hancock Off Work, who was 26. And um, they were on, on looking for two folks about that. And unfortunately, three native people were caught in this whole craziness. And we have two dead indigenous women, with 16 kids left over from it, and, a, and an Indigenous man named Cody um, Pfeffer. And Cody and the other two women, Glennis Fox and Stephanie Ear, they were all fatally shot to eliminate um, witnesses to what had happened. So this um, two guys are on trial right now for the first degree murder of this Afork, who, a fork, a fork, who was you know shot down, kidnapped, held for a ransom, tortured and shot, and three indigenous people happened to be um, involved in the sense that it, I don't know if they were looking for drugs at the time. I don't know how they ended up being. My understanding was they were literally there for a ride, but it ended up being in like way bigger and. They unfortunately witnessed all of this, and the two people who tortured the other guy were like, well, we have to kill all three of these people. But here's the thing. We have three indigenous people that were killed, but there's not one murder charge on one of them. So for those who were listening to the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Inquiry Report, it was said, you know, the term genocide. Now, I don't know how anybody is debating this is not possible. I mean, North America had hundreds of millions of Indigenous people, and now we don't. So right there's the genocide, let alone the continuous uh, policies of like, oh, I don't know, Stephen Harper, where we have to throw all Indigenous people in jail, um, as if that's not enough. You know, so we have these constant living under the Indian Act, and we call it the sixty Scoop, but it continues today, where... If you're an Indigenous kid, you're just at risk of being apprehended for being Indigenous. So we have all of these policies that are constantly against us. And now we have three more dead Indigenous people and they have lost, like, 16 kids have lost their, their mothers. I don't even know the status of Cody if he, he had children, but it doesn't matter. The point is we have three dead Indigenous people and there's no, nobody's being charged with their murder. So the family is totally distraught about this. Um, so Cynthia, excuse me, Cynthia Hunter um, is a is a local woman here who does the um, committee work on our on our missing and murdered Indigenous women committee, and she is the auntie of of these two girls. So she, you know, she's been going to the trials, unfortunately, hearing gruesome details that no one should have to hear. And, um, and and my heart has just been breaking because so while I'm sick at home, she's been at court every day. Um, there are other committee members with her, thank God, um, trying to help her and and the families go through that. But you know they they requested at a certain point, like people come, and the drummers came out and they sang, and they tried to you know lend that support for for what was happening. And so I tweeted about it. And I tweeted about it because I was so upset that, you know, this, this was happening and nobody, nobody cares. Like I, I don't understand how we have, you know, two years later, two people are on trial. We have three dead indigenous people and there's no charges for that. There's no charges. What's going on for that? So, and Canada's like, dum-dum-dum-dum, what's the next Flames game? Who cares? Because they don't care. And I, and this is a thing I don't understand, is that what if this was your kid? What if this was your niece? What if this was your nephew? Like I, I don't understand how there's this disconnect, that because they're Native, that somehow they're lesser than when it comes to Native, or to the Canadian um, population. I don't understand that. So I tweeted out about it. And And it's just shocking because when I do some of the things that people say back, you know, like all I want are people to retweet it. It's actually really simple, really simple idea. Just retweet, um, you know, some support or, or share the, an article. And you'd be shocked at how many people actually don't do that. So anyway, um, I actually retweeted some of the incredible <laughs> comments that some people had said in the hopes other people would listen to it. Like I had, um, you know, Trini Nagy Tooth say, so more of the same whiny liberals and fake news. Okay. Um, I don't I don't understand how they, they got that at all. Um, you know, I shared it because it was the 30th, anniversary of the Ecole Politique massacre uh, where 14 women were killed and I said 30 years after a misogynistic uh, killed 15 women at Ecole Politique massacre we have 231 calls to justice from the inquiry and natives in Alberta being killed without justice and shockingly hardly anybody retweeted that of course um I did, I, I just I, I just get thrown away for, by this. Like, I had this guy, Matt Hickey, who was like, they're on trial for murder. This is not that. Well, how can you say that, Matt Hickey? Like, we have three Indigenous killed, no murder charges for them. How, you can't talk to me about reconcile. This is literally genocide. And he's like, this is not that. Okay. I don't understand, people. Um, there was at least one person who chimed in. So some gnome uh, offender said, "This story makes no sense." Was uh, this a living on the street kind of crime? Why do f- women have eight kids each and at 36 are hanging in bad company if that's the case? Here's the family. MMIW, what about the kids? And I was like, there was nothing about that statement that made any sense to me. So I just quoted it and I said, when racism blinds you so much, you can't see your own government's systemic racism and systemic poverty. So you blame the murdered indigenous mothers for having kids, murdered mothers. Like how, how? But thankfully, um, physics lesbian chimed in and said, there's nothing on earth that can convince me this person sees any indigenous person as a human being. Yeah, what about the kids who are going to grow up without their, a mother? What about the trauma they've endured? Thank you, Lee, um, physics lesbian. Appreciate that. I sometimes I'm shocked at, at the drive-bys that people will say to me on Twitter, and I I just don't even know what to say anymore about it. Um, so, école politique. Uh, massacre this was something else that really shocked me um, so I think the reason why I've been lucky enough to know about these things is that you know I I as much as I give everybody else a hard time unless you've been affected directly by certain things sometimes you actually don't know a subject really well um, you know, obviously, I'm affected by violence against women. Um, it's something I've witnessed my entire life, uh, experienced daily. I would argue all women do, but they're really conditioned to think it's okay, um, which is wrong. And I think Indigenous, the same thing about racism, so conditioned that uh, it's wrong what happens to us on the daily, too, regardless, regardless. So, you know... Um, I really don't remember when this happened. I would have been about twelve. Uh, it would have been in the um, heyday of the Calgary Flames and the Edmonton Oilers. We won the Stanley Cup in '89, so uh, we just finished the Olympics. It was a really, um, you know, we we're on the high. We we're on a on a really good good um, high about the whole thing. And anyway, um, I don't remember at the age of 12, this happening. Um, I just remember that now that as an adult, when I'm speaking out, this is obviously something that matters to me. And um, I was lucky enough five years ago to be a speaker down at the... The Faculty of Law has um, a beautiful pe- art piece done by, uh, I want to say her name is Teresa Ponniak. Um, and it's, it's called Lest We Forget... And she did it for this exactly it's a beautiful art piece anyway there was um you know 25 year anniversary and they wanted to mark the occasion they had me come in and the herald covered it but they didn't they totally ignored me they they were like i don't know who this woman is so they just focused on her and and it's a great piece as a result um of course it says a lot though about ignoring indigenous voices not including them not mentioning um five years ago, Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, just totally whitewashing that article, right? So anyway, um, I I said to my daughter, because I'm the one nerd in on all of Canada that loves CBC radio and listens to it religiously. And I'm listening to it. And of course, it's on there over and over and over again. And because uh, I'm a liberal, you know, I'm paying attention to, you know, gender-based um, budgets and 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 details like that all the time, uh, whereas apparently not everybody is. And even of the Liberals, not everybody is either. So, you know, these are things that I'm uber aware about. And my daughter's taking French immersion. I had made the assumption that morning, and I talked to her, and I said, you know, you might hear about this. And um, when she came home, she actually told me she had not heard about this. And I was really shocked about it, actually. And then uh, we had a group with we have this wonderful program through You Say right now, and it's just trying to empower, you know, young women in um, understanding politics, understanding missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls into two-spirit, and understanding economy, you know, all these things. So they have these ideas, and my concern is that I'm going to, like, you know, steer it too much. So I try to be quiet and just educate as, as needed and we had a meeting of course on the 30th anniversary so I, I mentioned it to them and I talked about how you know these women were only killed because they were women and the gunman even said to them that you know he's killing them because they are feminists and even one of the women piped up and said you know she doesn't identify as a feminist and it didn't matter to him he still opened fire on them and um, And he killed 14 and then 15 of course being himself so um and i'm just looking it up right now it says here that there were 14 other people injured and one of those 14 people i heard her story she was the one who said you know i'm not a feminist actually and he he ended up shooting her four times leaving her for dead um so anyway i i tried to talk about the significance of this that You know, nobody had known about this. So here we are like 30 years later and we actually have like this national day um, to acknowledge it even. It's called the National Day of Remembrance and Action on Violence Against Women. But nobody knows that. So it's 30 years later, no Canadians know it out here. And um, we were, I was just trying to, to talk about that and they were asking why don't we know about this and it's such a failure of our education system that like every Canadian kid doesn't know about this. Today my daughter's school does these um, lockdown procedures and they have live shooter drills and procedures and that all came from this shooting because this shooting was the very first ever so I know. For a lot of folks, it's hard to imagine, but it's only been 30 years of these mass shootings and mass shootings in schools. It's only been 30 years. And as a result, because the police had zero policies and procedures that day, they were totally caught with their pants down. This was the reason why all across Turtle Island, we now have these policies and procedures is because of this incident. And um, yet nobody talks about that and um and on a sidebar i've uh, started the process of trying to get my daughter's indian status and oh, fuck first of all you need like long form of this and long form of that so birth certificates and marriage certificates and all of this stuff so we have to like spend because here in alberta and no one's different across the country but here in alberta you have to pay for everything So if you want to have, like, a license for anything, you pay for that. Um, If I want a copy of my birth certificate, you pay for that. You want a copy of your marriage certificate, you pay for that. And it's a process. It takes time, right? So anyway, I made the observation that, like, I paid $200 to take my firearms course, get my my restricted and unrestricted firearms license, and it's going to take me more time and more money and way less training for me to get my daughter's Indian status. So in 30 years of having this mass shooting, it's still easier for me to get a gun than it is for um, me to get my daughter her Indian status. So it just shows you the level of like racism and sexism and misogyny that we still have within the uh, policies that we have. Like, I know that the Conservatives are totally in bed with the gun lobbyists, and that's fine, I don't care, because I would argue the Liberals are much better, because. This is the other thing, the politics that came from that shooting. This is where the original gun registry that Albertans especially lost their nut over. Now I will say this as a native, um, typically any policy procedure law disproportionately affects people of color and indigenous people. So if they were to institute some kind of like registry, of course it would disproportionately affect Um, indigenous in a negative way. No question. And that's the same with the black community and any other uh, group that would be marginalized, um, because that's the way structural racism and biases works. So, you know, of course, that's always my concern. But after 30 years, most of the uh, murders against um, a mom or a a woman is usually by their intimate partner or ex-intimate partner, and almost always, like, the, the gun numbers are ridiculous. And then on top of it, let's just look at the men. So a lot of, um, in my experience from, like, Lois Lane, like, when I was young to um, just seeing this over and over again where it's just, you know, man kills woman and then shoots himself. And and you just after 30 years, we still cannot put together a policy or two. Not, not one, hey, we just can't do that. So, and I'm just like totally calling out all politicians for being cowards on this. Like, this is ridiculous. How many more women have to be killed by a gun? And how many more men are going to commit or are going to suicide themselves? Oh, that was another conversation that was really great. um, That that came out um, about language when talking about suicide. Suicide is technically illegal, which is stupid because who are you going to charge after you've committed suicide? But the term commit suicide is like basically giving that legal framework and, and demonizing it. So suicide, rather it being then like a you know, mental health issue, trauma related issue, we don't talk about it in those terms. We talk about it in an illegal term by saying committed suicide. So there was a really great article that came out and um, th- they talked about proper term terminology to use. And it, I think it was more meant for media, but it was a conversation about how how to, you know, try to talk about suicide in better ways, in more uh, humane ways, I would argue. And why is this relevant? <laughs> this is, you're not going to believe what has happened, but... Here in Alberta, we have politicians in government that have been elected. Now, if I say something wrong or blow my nose funny, everybody would lose it. But we literally elected people that, you know, believe the world's 6,000 years old and that religious um, bias and racist bias should trump everything else. So some guy actually put forward a private member's bill being like, you know, because we have so much racism, we have so much bias, we have so much discrimination already. It's not enough for these, these conservatives. We need more racism and discrimination and bias in whatever decision we make, and especially in healthcare. So they put forward this private member's bill to be like, well, people should be able to consciously object to, you know, medical procedures or whatever. So it's basically, if you don't believe in abortion, you don't have to be a part of that. If you don't believe in LGBTQ2 plus rights, you don't have to give trans health care. If you don't believe in women, you don't have to really give them health care. You know, all of those ridiculous, archaic, like 1919 belief systems still coming into 19, 2019 legislation. So anyway, what's not funny is There was a military vet who, um, as it has come out, has had a long uh, story about being denied healthcare and, and then on the other side of it, working really hard for medically assisted suicide and as a result is a strong advocate for that. So, you know, here he is at the age of 61 And he takes a gun and he shoots himself on the steps of the legislature while the politicians are debating this ridiculous, archaic bill. And he did it on purpose. He said in his suicide notes that he wants to shine a light on medically assisted suicide. So hats off, my friend. You've done it. You're on my podcast um, talking about this and the importance of that. And I, I, I hate that you have felt you had to sacrifice your life in this way. Um, in order to shine a light on it, and I think the biggest disservice we could do is not say it. You did it on purpose. You made the biggest political statement you can make, and I, I just wish we as a society could have supported you and your family, and not just you and your family, but families like yours in this situation. Um, I'm a liberal, federal liberal. I strongly believe in this legislation that we put forward. I'm proud that we did, but that doesn't mean it solved anything. And I think, and I've said this to folks who have been a part of this process, is that medically assisted suicide will work for some, but it'll be used in a really awful way for somebody like me. Um, like, they're already trying to sterilize us and stop us from having kids and. You know, using every trick in their book to hate us uh, medically. So the idea of you know medically assisted suicide, while it may help some really great privileged households, I don't think it's going to positively impact those in poverty, um, those with disabilities, those like myself who are native. I know it won't. Uh, we already talk about the one hospital being the death hospital, and um, yeah, that's just. We know not to go there because they'll discriminate against you if you're a person of color if you're native or if you have an accent my god can you hear my beagle snoring in the background so yeah so a lot's been happening obviously um in in that regard and i'm sad out of all of the things that everyone could be talking about they're not really talking about that in the Strongest and positive terms, which is which is too bad. It doesn't honor what he did either, and um, I think what he did was noble, and I I have a lot of respect for what he tried to do um, to shine a light on this on this issue, and I feel sad that people just can't do it for whatever reason. They just can't do it. Uh, one other thing I want to shed a light on before I wrap up. It just seems like the time goes by so quick sometimes. Um, I don't normally listen to a, a show called uh, White Coat Black Art, but Dr. Brian Goldman, um, and on Twitter, he's Night Shift M- MD, had a really strong conversation about what it's like to be um, a parent and a doctor and harm reduction. And I thought, you know, this is the conversation I wish we would have more when it comes to destigmatizing mental health and that conversation. Because um, basically what he was saying was, you know, uh, he adopted uh, a son and his son was going out to bum smokes. And at a certain point he knew as a doctor, it's just a matter of time until one's like laced in fentanyl. And he, he bought him, his son, a pack of smokes as a form of harm reduction. And he blogged about it. And I guess the, the medical community fucking lost it on him. And then on the flip side, there were some uh, doctors and who said, you know, I really understand where you're coming from. Oh my God. So I'm literally right now talking about this. And Sheldon Kennedy put out something about, you know, racism in sports has to end. So shout out to you. I hope. That stuff continues from you, Sheldon. Anyway, um, really brave conversation about uh, harm reduction in your own family. And I was shocked that this man actually said at one point in time he didn't even think to have a naloxone kit in his own house. And for me, like I give out Narcan and naloxone kits like candy. um, And I encourage everybody else to do it too because if we are legitimate about harm reduction, we need to. But on top of it, like my daughter is at that age where she's going to need to have that access to naloxone and Narcan in order for us to, you know, be honest about what harm reduction is. So anyway, really recommend you all listen to that. It's about half an hour. And um, with that, I will wrap up because time goes by so quick. I wanted to say so much more, but here we are. Uh, Well, Briety service uh, december 21st at the wild rose united church Uh, we're going to be there to honor those that we've lost over the year Um, anyway indigenous have been talking about the issues sharing our traumas in reports commissions and in public hearings just so it can be regularly disregarded no more honor their words honor the treaties listen to politicians and their policies and platforms if they don't recognize marginalized people in their budget with gender equity plus Um, If they're cutting violence prevention programs and services, Indigenous education, uh, uterus health choices, gay-straight alliances, trans um, health, know that your vote to that party directly negatively impacts marginalized people. Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal people, the multiple reports on child welfare reform, violence prevention programs and now the 231 calls to justice from the national inquiry on missing and murdered indigenous women denying those reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting our people are experiencing extreme racism in the justice educational health institutions with multiple reports that say the same thing demand the change from election platforms and politicians if they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege and sexism, they literally have zero business running. This should be understood by all parties, local politicians, community organizations, sports, etc. Um a really great article that I said in episode 62 is Truth Before Truth: How Non-Indigenous Canadians Become Allies. You know, violence is just my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. That's why I started this podcast, to speak freely, without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinion, but sure want to tell us theirs, usually by people who know nothing about Indigenous, know nothing about colonialism, know nothing about the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, our rights, just typical microaggressions, people dealing with internalized racism, those who are gatekeepers survive off the status quo and people who are so in their trauma they stop other peoples from doing the work and depleting the resources internal and external racism is an everyday reality for indigenous people that's why I needed this podcast for a boundary to be heard my hope is that my family will be proud in the future of discussing these present-day issues Um, I also just want to say please Look up cultural safety, start practicing it. If you're experiencing emotional distress and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at one 242 3310 It's toll free and it's open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom of what strength looks like through your example. I wanna thank my dad for teaching me to be blunt and strong, my stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian roots and family, and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. It is through her I am a second generation proud Calgarian. I want to say thank you to my husband for producing and editing this show. On top of being my husband, my childhood friend, the father of our child, and the support of my journey down the red road, he has witnessed decades of racism and sexism. And to our child, who we are blessed to learn from daily, We are honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and a stronger person. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian. I want to say thank you to Alexandra, Beatrice, Brian, Celine, Diana, Jocelyn, Judy, Kenna, Kimberly, Leah, or Lee, um, Natalie, Nathan, Marcia, uh, Marisa, sorry, Phyllis, Rebecca, The Sprawl, Tiffany, Vanessa, Veronica. Thank you all for signing up. If you did one donation or many or had to quit for financial reasons, just know I appreciate your support. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at NativeyYc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or questions. We are also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher and I want to say um, end with a side eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not your dish. My beautiful cousin would respond, or you'd be in my dish. And my daughter figured out that our beagle is a rabbit hunter. Thanks for listening.